1: Today, we are going to talk with Michael Schratt about UFOs. Michael is a private pilot, aviation and military aerospace historian, one of the top and most respected UFO researchers, and has been investigating UFO encounters for over 25 years. Between 2008 and 2009, Michael meticulously reviewed a minimum of 50,000 cases which were preserved at the Center of UFO Studies in Chicago. In an effort to maintain an important part of our national history, Michael has recreated dozens of highly credible UFO cases by the use of drawings, illustrations, and commissioned artwork, which he has published in his book, Dark Files. Many of these cases included Unidentified submerged objects, actual extraterrestrial encounters, and prehistory UFO cases, which have never seen the light of day. He continues his in depth investigations to the current day, including many recent UFO sightings and encounters. Michael's going to be the featured speaker at MUFON Symposium 2022 in Denver, Colorado, this summer, by the way, July. Michael, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here.
2: Barb, thanks for giving me the opportunity to join you. I really appreciate it.
1: I'm glad you do, because as I <laughs> told you before we got on, um, I went back looking at Michael's um, the history, and he has a YouTube channel, um, Blue Room Media, and looking at all this, and I have to say, He blew my head up. The amount of information and that he has cataloged, that he has painstakingly um, kept track of, and including illustrations, that it is, I don't know what would do without you. All this Mm. information would be gone. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I'm so glad Uh, I didn't do it.
2: (laughs) uh, Thanks so much. You know, the thought here is that Someone's gotta go around to all these archives and research centers and university libraries and personal collections and dig out all of these cases that have been lost to history and try to make them come alive through the use of illustrations. That's really my goal. I, I just want so to glad maintain you're doing an it. important part of our national history.
1: Mm-hmm. And pulling them together, even if they stayed out there, it's a little piece here, a little piece right. there. You know, nobody other than you has pulled them all together. So that well,
2: what's interesting. What's interesting is I'm seeing patterns as I'm getting these things illustrated, patterns in the dates of where these, when these things are taking place, patterns in what the eyewitnesses are reporting, patterns on the audio signatures of these. Like, okay, so let's go back. A lot of people are seeing tubes, pipes, and cylinders on the bottom of these craft, and it keeps on happening over and over and over again. And then they're reporting, Barb, that there's There's this strange stinger or spire that comes off the top surface of these craft and ends or terminates in this 16-inch diameter ball at the end of it. That keeps popping up again and again. And as we go through these cases, we'll we'll look at that and investigate that.
1: Okay, they're like antennae then, like in Chicago, like like like
2: antennae. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. And they, but the end never comes off, does it? You know how some of the lights will leave the mothership.
2: But, um, not when it's connected to a spire. No, I haven't heard yeah. of any cases where they're where they're taking off. No. Mm-mm.
1: It's fascinating to hear about patterns though. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to turn it to you. There is so much information, only you can do it. So you're uh, on. Okay.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, thank, thanks again, Barbara. I really do appreciate it. And just before we get going here, I want to give people you know, an idea of where I'm getting all this. This research mm-hmm. effort is a what they call a boots on the ground research effort. You know, it, it really requires you have to set up an appointment with the university library special collections division. Then you have to wear the the white gloves. Then you have to, you know, two weeks in advance you have to select and please request all of the boxes be pulled before you get there. I mean, this is what's called actual boots on the ground research. This is not a research effort where it's a Sunday afternoon and it's yeah. it's a rainy, a rainy day, and you're sitting on the couch and you and you go on Google and you type in a, a certain search, search criteria and these images pop up and you right-click save as. That that's not what this is about. This is about real world boots on the ground. Grinding and getting files out of cabinets and, and actual dusty paper. archives, yes, yeah. that's <laughs> that's what paper. this research effort is yeah. all about, you know.
1: Okay, and so. thank God because you know what happens now is I can do it on the Sunday afternoon and click on <laughs> because you've brought it all to a well, yeah, I've, I've done the link <laughs> for
2: people, but <laughs> yeah. what's cool is, and we'll, we'll go over the sources here, okay, so uh. Where I got this information, I just listed a couple of sources here. QFOS, which is Center for UFO Studies, that's twenty four fifty seven mm-hmm. West Peterson Avenue in Chicago. But that whole entire collection now has been moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, under the jurisdiction of David Marler. So he has that collection. Yes. Uh, NICAP, APRO, MuFON. MuFON HQ is now in Ohio, and uh, another important source is a book written by Ivan T. Sanderson called Invisible Residents. And it's all about, Barb, it's all about these USO encounters, unidentified submerged object encounters, because as Jacques Vallée had stated decades ago, literally 51% of all UFO cases are in point-of-fact USO cases. And when the Condon committee emerged yeah, for, for people who right.
1: are as ignorant as I am for the, that is unidentified uh, unidentified submerged.
2: That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And when they wrote that Condon report back in 69, Barb, they did not even consider the USO reports. So what that means is in point of fact, they missed 50% of the evidence and yet they're supposed to have an objective Research effort on the whole phenomenon. They missed out on 50% of the evidence. It's crazy. My God. It's crazy. All right. So I, I see
1: very little about submerged. Ethics.
2: Yeah. You, you don't. It's kind of this forgotten facet of ufology. It's kind of almost shoved in the background, but it's really so significant. It, it really deserves more attention. Uh, uninvited Guest by Richard Hall is another very good book. Uh, David Marler UFO Research Collection. That's in near Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, And, and what he has done, compiled just an incredible amount of material, meticulous researcher. And his research center rivals those of any university libraries. I mean, he's got the beautiful table. He's got the chairs. He's got that green lamp that you see in university art. I mean, it's a legitimate research center. Well done, David. Well done. <laughs> Excuse
1: uh, me for laughing, but that picture that you painted is just so gorgeous and so 1950s. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's it's got
2: that look. I mean, when, when you arrive there. You feel like you're at a university archive. I mean, it's official. It's official. But. Uh, Wendell Stevens collection. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna credit where I got the information. Whether mm-hmm. people no,
1: that's good. You don't should. agree
2: with it or not. I'm I'm gonna let people know where I got this. Uh, Leonard Stringfield collection gray barker ufo collection that's clarksburg west virginia for those that are hardy enough to tackle that one mm-hmm. uh, and then just plain old-fashioned boots on the ground research and so that's kind of where i got this information now there's others too because you know there's, there's hundreds of sources but these are the main ones yeah. all right so why don't, why don't we go ahead and start getting into these cases here and I'm just going to describe this, since this is a radio podcast, and and people can you know use their own mind's eye, they they can create it in their in their brain here. So,
1: and they February... can buy
2: your book. Oh ah, well, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> February third, nineteen eighty-three, Mobile, Alabama. Primary eyewitness had had completed a dinner engagement. She's driving down back to her home, and uh, <laughs> it's at night, around nine p.m., and she hears this big boom. And her car starts shaking. So she pulls off to the side of the you know, road. She stops her vehicle. She gets out. She looks under the vehicle. She thought, wow, I, I think the transmission might have fallen out or something. But that, that appeared to be okay. So she gets back in the car. She drives another half mile down the road. She looks off to the right. And she sees this lighted, clear section kind of in the woods. And what she sees, Barb, is this oddball, strange, unusual 210 foot long craft it's 80 feet tall it kind of has this wedding cake tapered section in the aft of the craft itself it has hundreds of these porthole windows she said that when she was looking at this thing she could look from one side through the craft and all the way through to the other side to the other porthole window that's what she said wow. and then the the entire outer portion of this craft was fastened by rivets. Okay, this is back in 1983. This whole thing had rivets fastening this thing together. That's something we've heard of before. Now, we'll start at the upper deck. Mm -hmm. It was illuminated from the interior. So we've got this transparent wall wraparound section that basically comprised the first one-third portion of the craft. Now, behind these walls are these transparent sections or windows she said that she could see five foot 10 humanoid looking beings that were wearing a one piece tight fitting flight suit. They were hairless and they were moving like they were in some type of a sterile environment. So she saw that now below but that. I section,
1: have to ask that this is ahead. 80 feet. Up this is this because well, you she, said it was,
2: it, it was, was 80 yeah, feet, 210 feet long. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the height of the craft is about 80 feet high. And she's standing Twenty feet below this craft, she's very within the proximity of the craft. She, and so she she's could still up see at in. These yeah, yeah, she she could she could st- see through the porthole windows and everything. Yeah, so we're wow. talking real close range here.
1: Way now, too be- close. Yeah,
2: <laughs> below this section there was another transparent section that wrapped around the one third forward part of the craft. And then if we go down further, she said that she saw these what what she termed sandbox looking six by six basically kind of a protruding square. And then in between each of these squares, there was this six foot long cylinder that kind of looked like a a cannon, but wasn't a cannon. This was something else. She wasn't quite sure what it was. Now, below that, there was this, you could call it a door that was closing from right to left. And on the left side of this door, she said she could see a wall. And on this wall, it had pipes, it had tubes, it had silencers. and that that is something that has been reported at least fifteen times within the archives now. So a lot of these craft have pipes and cylinders That's what on I'm the thinking. Wall. This
1: is mechanical.
2: It's mechanical. that's yeah. right. It's mechanical. Now, I don't know how she saw the next part, but I'm just gonna tell it to you anyway. you know, okay. I'm just, it's my job to report it as is. I'm not gonna add okay. anything to it. <laughs> she said, I don't know how she saw this from her perspective, but she saw at the bottom part of that wall where that door was closing, she said she saw an asphalt road. Maybe the craft tipped up 20 degrees or something, mm-hmm. but she said she saw an asphalt road leading into the interior of the craft. Now, when we talk about these porthole windows, when she was looking through this craft, she said that when she looked through the windows it, and she saw the structure Inside the craft, she said it reminded her of bulkheads at an East Coast shipping yard where they would Hmm. lay the keel down and then they would have all the bulkheads that formed up the structure of a ship. That's what the interior of this craft looked like. That's what she described, this part of the craft. Now, on the bottom of the craft, she said that there were these transparent gondolas and inside these gondolas, there were the same five foot 10 humanoid looking beings wearing the same exact one piece tight fitting white flight suit. Now on the top lip of these gondolas, which was connected to the bottom of the craft, Mm
0: -hmm. there were
2: these 12 inch by 12 inch highly polished mirror reflective devices that were in this form of a cross on the bottom of the craft. Now about five minutes later, there were some uh, beaming spotlights that went up and then this thing slowly moved away from her location so again this is february 3rd 1983 mobile alabama
1: wow wow and she I mean, was stuck to the spot looking at this huh <laughs> she she was looking
2: at this at close range close right. enough to see through and into the porthole windows incredible now, did they
1: have helmets on or no
2: nope nope so. nope she said they were hairless slightly larger yeah. head but humanoid looking Mm-hmm. And the, the reference for this so that anyone can verify it on their own, I'm not just making this up, this is April Bulletin, Volume 32, Number 2, 1984. That's the source.
1: Wow. Now, um, so it's mechanical because I always wanted to be other. I don't know what other is, but, sure. you know, like the... Um, Phoenix lights where you know they they didn't know what it was made of, they saw none of that and it was completely quiet. And that's the other thing I meant to ask you. Was did she uh, report that it was quiet? No, was no there...
2: electrical humming in this case, but generally that we do hear that, but not here. Yeah. Nope. It was even kind of taken
1: a... off. It, it no sound at all.
2: Well beside the big boom in the beginning. That yeah. was it. Well, that so, was a big yeah. one. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll continue on and we'll move on to the next case here. Now, the date for this, and people within this field sort of kind of already know about this, but we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper here. This regards the USS FDR, which was the first aircraft carrier to carry nuclear weapons on board. This is uh, late 1958 Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because why what is it about this aircraft carrier that had so many ufo slash uso cases and sightings and encounters there's something about this ship maybe it has to do with the nuclear weapons who knows but whatever this particular aircraft carrier had just a history of ufo sightings okay so let's set up the scene here 1958 they're on a shakedown cruise And all of a sudden, Barb, I I kid you not, I spoke to the primary eyewitness. He's no longer with us. He died about Mm -hmm. a year ago. And uh, we've got his original sketch, which is part of the MUFON archives. Mm -hmm. It's around 930 p.m. at night. And and all of a sudden, there is screaming and yelling and people. It's a chaotic situation. All of these U.S. Navy personnel are, are climbing these interior ladders to get on to the flight deck on the top of this aircraft carrier. I mean, can you imagine all these guys screaming and yelling? They're, they're hustling up these ladders. They're, they're trying to get up to the flight deck where all the aircraft take off. Now, when yeah. they get there, they see this yellow light approaching the aircraft carrier. It gets a little bit closer, gets a little bit closer. And then, Barb, it is not just this obscure light. This is a 200 foot long cigar shaped craft. It has square windows and the men on the deck could look into these windows and they saw what looked like humanoid beings walking back and forth between these windows. And they felt heat radiating off this craft onto their faces. So it's, Barb, it's not just a CE2 case, it's a CE3 case because there were physical effects and they saw they saw beings of some kind, so that qualifies it as a CE two and a CE three. Now, what happened next is, you know, again they could feel the heat coming off this thing. Right. One of these beings, whatever or whoever it was, raised his hand above his head and was waving to the guys below, oh. like he was actually waving. And what's yeah. great is we have the original sketch from the eyewitness showing this being waving to the guys below. I mean, it's it's great. Did so they not, wave
1: back? <laughs> oh, well,
2: I, I, I'm sure probably some of the naval well, personnel did. I don't know. Did, but <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's it's great. So there's it's tw- at least 25 other naval personnel uh, saw this. So it's not yeah. just the primary eyewitness. There were others as well. Um, okay. And we did a full-color rendering, which can't see here in this interview. But uh, credit goes to Tom Bogan for doing the full-color rendering. And there is an internal newsletter called Flat Top, which which described this uh, in detail. And the primary witness, his name is Chester Grzynski. So this is late 1958 Guantanamo Bay, Cuba.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, you said, though, what about this this ship or this aircraft carrier that um, UFOs were attracted attractive to UFOs. yeah this is how many only, others did they say uh,
2: i i have heard of at least two other ufo counter encounters with the fdr beside mm-hmm. this one so as far as i know there's at least three i'm sure there's probably many more now the way this whole thing ended is when when this case was over and uh they actually had intelligence people go onto the aircraft carrier and the the, the excuse they used is they were, they thought it was gambling below decks. That's the excuse they used. What, to what does enter- that have to do with it? <laughs> I know it has nothing to do with it. But that's the excuse they used to like, oh, confiscate the records and the log books And oh, you guys see. are gambling yeah, below yeah, decks, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna take all the evidence. That's what they did. That's what they did. So, again, this is one of these cases where it probably was caught on radar for sure. We have twenty five witnesses that saw it with their own eyes, and. You know, they were debriefed and then they came down here, you know, gambling below decks is the excuse right, they use. Right. So, oh, that's again,
1: sad. It's that, sad. I mean, that's sad that we couldn't even come up with a better excuse. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, I know, that's crazy. But now um, with the government taking so much mm-hmm. information, so most of the information that you have gotten has come then from eyewitnesses.
2: From, from eyewitnesses. From uh, sketches, from drawings, from illustrations, from five page sign reports, Mm -hmm. from actual people that I've interviewed, from going to research. And that's where that's where uh, I've been able to. So you don't know if it
1: could be if they could have picked it up on radar or not, because I know now sometimes they can't seem to pick it up on radar. And yet, could they in 1950s and 60s and they can't now? Or it's been true all the way through that sometimes well, they can and sometimes they can't.
2: At the very least, there would have been a log book entry at yeah, the true, very least. Yeah, yeah. At the very least.
1: When they had their ship going crazy and running, you know, top ship. Yeah. I'm sure there was a mm-hmm. log entry.
2: Yep. That's yeah. right. That's right. Wow. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the next case here. And this is a really good case. Uh, this is May 26, 1979 calusa california primary eyewitness is uh it's about eleven thirty p.m and he's watching tv he's got the air conditioner running and all yeah. of a sudden the tv conks out coincidentally the air conditioning conks out so he gets yeah. off from the couch he walks back to the uh, back of the house he opens up the circuit breaker box yeah. everything seemed to be okay there the next thing he knows barb and this is described in the report. The next thing he knows that the, the hair on his arms, oh. the hair on his head, the hair on his chest, not only starts standing up, but starts crackling and snapping. He wow. was encased in this static electrical field. He looks up. Can you imagine the scene here? It's at night. He's just you know barely getting out of the couch here. He yeah. goes back to the house. He looks up. And he sees this 140-foot diamond or dish-shaped craft hovering above the house, this massive craft. Now, here's where it gets real detailed here. It had an upper dome. And you remember those old lemon squeezers and orange squeezers? Oh, yeah. What do you mean old? I still have one. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. It it had those ridges on it. That's... That's what this thing, the dome had that same ridges looking lemon squeezer. That's exactly what this thing looked Mm -hmm. like. Now on either side, well, essentially on the bottom of the craft, there were these conduit pipes that terminated in frayed edges. That's what he described. So you can think of these dangling, you could call them ramen noodles coming down from the bottom of this thing. That's a really good way to describe it at the, at the end of these ramen noodles it was it was had these frayed edges,
1: like worn out, frayed,
2: K- kind of worn out. Yeah. Like yeah. wire sticking out. Right. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Wow. And then he said on either side of the dish shaped craft on the bottom, there were these double prongs that were sticking out as well. Okay. Now, while all this is going on, he's looking toward the left and he sees an identical looking craft, but it's half the size. And what it's doing is it's pulling power off the 500,000 volt power lines, causing them to become cherry red. So right wow. now, Barb, it's a CE2 case because we have the static electrical charge causing the hair on his skin to, to stick up. And then also these power lines were, were turning cherry red. So it's a CE2 case right off the bat, right off the bat. Now, next thing that happened is Whatever these ramen noodles were, you can call them, they yeah. retracted into the bottom of the craft. And at the very same time, these double prongs, they also retracted 90% into the bottom of the craft, not 100%, but 90%. Mm-hmm. The very same time that happened, these gooseneck lights popped out from the top of the craft and were shining down. So that's kind of like scene one.
1: Right. Scene
2: two in all this is a, you know, we've got a technical drawing. Uh, that describes what this craft looked like. There was a red light in front of this thing. And then again, these frayed edges. So he, he starts getting a little bit concerned here. You know, what is this thing? What's what's yeah. going on here? This is crazy. Am I so, safe?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd be concerned
2: too. So yeah. he, he runs back into the house. He wakes up his wife. Mm-hmm. He wakes up his two children. They go to the back of the bedroom there and they pull the blinds back and they're looking through the window. And what do they see? They see that large craft 140 feet in diameter flanked on either this is in the backyard now flanked on either side by two smaller craft and the smaller craft are pulling power off the 500,000 volt power lines causing them to become cherry red and the whole vicinity had a blackout had wow. a total blackout so that's something that happened as well now, now
1: they're feeding their they're it's almost like they're docking to get energy something would, yeah, yeah
2: they're pulling power, they're investigating, they're doing something like a dock
1: to get fuel. Yep, it could
2: be, it could be. Yeah. So it, it definitely affected the entire area because it blacked out the entire area. Now, right. the large craft that they saw in the beginning of this sighting, as it was just kind of hovering there from a dead standstill barb, this thing took off like a spark on a grinding wheel, hovered over mountains that were over 25 nautical miles away and then came back in less than two seconds.
1: Oh, my God.
2: And keep in mind, this is back in 1979. That's hard to even
1: conceive of. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That, back in
2: 1979. So whoever or whatever was building and flying this thing had the capability of transversing 50 miles in less than two seconds and made no sonic boom back in 1979. So someone's building something
1: right someone's
2: building something now. All did right.
1: those were they mechanical did they have the rivets and all of that nope
2: they didn't say they had any rivets right. it's kind of it's a like, seamless like how craft. could
1: that not come apart in that kind of speed yeah, well
2: someone figured out how to negate gravity yeah. that's what yeah. it looks like uh earlier than wow. 1979 all right so then what happened at this point is he's telling his family you know what we're out of here I don't know what this thing is. I don't know where it's from. I don't know who's flying it, but we're getting out of here. So, you know, you can imagine the scene that the kids are still in their pajamas mm-hmm. He piles, his family, the wife gets in the passenger side, the kids are barely have their covers still on. They might've grabbed a pillow or something. So they all pile in the truck. Now they're going 90 miles an hour down the road. And guess what happens next Barb, that large craft that, that made that supersonic flight to, in, in two seconds it comes chasing the pickup truck down oh the road. Oh my
1: God! They're going ninety. <laughs> oh, miles an what hour. a nightmare! And
2: I'm I'm not making this up. This is all documented. I mean, you oh, can't make this stuff geez, up. This flying yeah. saucer is chasing this pickup truck down the road. They're, it specifically states in the report, and it's like a ten-page report. They're oh, going ninety miles an hour down this road, and this large, hundred and forty-foot diameter dish-shaped craft is following the truck. Oh, that's
1: terrifying.
2: It goes over over the cab of the truck to the driver's side, then goes over to the passenger side, then goes back over to the driver's side. And uh, I've got the newspaper clipping here. The San Antonio Express, February 6, 1977. Here's the headline. Family tells of terror as UFO chase car at 90 miles an hour. Oh, my so God. Here, I can't believe you
1: stayed clipping. on the road. Yeah, you could yeah. stay on the road.
2: I mean, talk oh my about. My God traumatic experience here right so much
1: for them being nice guys (laughs) yeah that's
2: right you know what though before you
1: go i gotta take a break here no
2: problem no problem okay
1: and we'll be right back to hear about more ufos and hopefully they don't all chase us (laughs) i'll be (laughs) right back
0: one thing's for certain life is uncertain do you navigate the unknowns visit a view through the veil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with barb crowley you can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. you are listening to metaphysics a view through the veil with barb crowley to reach the live show please call into 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com now back to the show
1: hi this is barb crowley and metaphysics of view through the veil and we're back with michael Schratt, who is telling us about ufos one of which he he just told us about chased a family down the road at 90 miles an hour so he's going to tell us some more come on back in michael
2: okay th- bob thanks again for having me with, be with you here and I'm let's thrilled, go to actually. the next case <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: uh, this next case is my favorite project blue book case Again, mm-hmm. th- this is not my case. This is the United States government, the U.S. Air Force case, Project Blue Book. It's one of their cases. If you go to the National Archives in Washington D.C., you can pull this up yourself. So it's it's actually there. It actually did happen. They
1: haven't locked that down, huh?
2: Well, you can you can still get the Project Blue Book cases. No good. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the date here. Let me set this up. It's March twenty third, nineteen sixty six, Temple, Oklahoma. It's about five oh five in the morning. This is all documented. Mm -hmm. And this electrical engineer who works at Shepard Air Force Base, his name name is Eddie Laxon. He's driving down this highway road. It's like five in the morning. So the the scene is, it's still a little bit dark out. Light is just starting to twinkle up above the horizon. And wouldn't you know it, Barb, in his path of driving here, there's something blocking the road. And it's described as... The best way to describe it is this overturned bowling pin is the best way to describe <laughs> it. This thing looks like a bowling pin sitting on its side. Okay, the now, size
1: of a bowling
2: pin or big? Well, no, it, it looks like a bowling pin, but it's seventy-five feet in length. Oh. So it's a, it's imagine this huge bowling pin mm-hmm. that's kind of sitting out across the road, perpendicular to his uh, direction of travel. It's seventy-five feet in length. It's about eight inches, eight feet tall. And I'll start at the beginning here. It has a, a bubble canopy that he said looked like it came off a B 26 World War II bomber. So you've got this mm-hmm. bubble canopy up front. The whole thing was sitting on these Lunar Lander Pogo landing gears. It had two beaming spotlights that were shining forward. It also had two beaming spotlights that were shining directly downward. Now, just aft of the forward landing gear, there was an air stair door with the door open and steps leading inside this craft. Now, right next to the steps, he said that there was a man, not an alien, not an extraterrestrial, a man wearing Mm -hmm. two-piece military green fatigue. He had a baseball cap with the bill turned up. He had a flashlight that he was shining down toward these steps. Now, above on the top part of this craft, this is what we kind of described in the beginning here. There was this spire or stinger that swept back from the top part of the craft and that terminated into this 16-inch diameter ball at the end of the stinger that he saw. Now aft of the air stair door, this is all on the right side of the craft, and he he's seeing all this. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was this about a three and a half diameter porthole window that was basically separated into four equal pie segments. Now aft of this porthole window, he said. Written in black letters was the designation from vertical top to bottom TL4768 was written on the side of the craft TL4768 now at the very end of this craft, there were these flight controls that were way too small to be aerodynamically effective I mean we're talking these tiny little fins at the very back of it. it It certainly didn't seem that it had any type of aerodynamic effectiveness. Now, when the whoever this man was with the green military fatigue, when he saw that he was being watched by Eddie Laxton, he immediately and I'm talking immediately climbed up these air stair doors. He closed the door, just like when you board a commercial airliner and they're Mm -hmm. getting ready to take off. They close that door. That's what this guy did. He closed this door. And then Eddie Laxton said there was a high pitched drilling noise. And this is something that comes up again and again and again. There's always this high-pitched drilling noise, like someone took an electric drill and pulled the trigger on it, and it just made this high-pitched noise. This craft took off from the ground. It hovered about 50 feet above the ground. And then, Barb, this thing took off like a spark on a grinding wheel and made no sonic boom. This is back in 1966.
1: And this had to be ours then. Yeah, that's the
2: point of it. Yeah. He said... He said it was a man. It wasn't an alien. He was mm-hmm. wearing a baseball cap. In fact, in the report, he said that if he went downtown and saw the guy that afternoon, he could recognize him. That's he how was close that he close. was. Oh he wow! Was that close. He right. was that close. Why? And,
1: yeah. Why did they land on a highway? Well, it,
2: you know, it, it looks like they were. He was trying to make repairs or investigate something or something. But, but still, uh, you're
1: bound to be caught that way.
2: Yeah, that's right. And what's interesting and, is he wasn't the only one that saw it after this thing took off. And now the road was clear. He drove another two miles down the road and he, and what he ended up running into was a truck driver, mm-hmm. the truck driver pulled off to the side of the road. He was standing on the driver's side running boards. And he mm-hmm. had just seen prior to all this, the same craft that Eddie Lexon could see. And, and Eddie Lexon said, can I help you? And he described the craft. It was identical to what Eddie Laxon had just seen. Wow. The the truck driver saw it as well. So we've got two independent confirmations of this particular craft. And it's a Project Blue Book case. Um, And it's human.
1: And it's it's, human.
2: It's human. So what, what this tells us, Barb, is that at the very least, at the very least, three years before Apollo 11 landing on the moon and Tranquility Base, July 20th, 1969, Somebody figured out how to crack the gravity barrier, and they did it. Wow! They did it. My question is: Was Neil Armstrong briefed on this technology? Because here we've got these obsolete liquid rockets. This craft has no moving. Yeah, essentially, (laughs) it has no moving parts. There's no liquid rockets. There's no fuel tanks. We did away with all that stuff. This is back in 1963, 66, three years before Apollo 11
1: and then we put them in a tin can and shot them up there like
2: that's right you know that's like right. it was
1: 1920 <laughs> yeah
2: what, what, what about the apollo fire that killed yeah. the three astronauts oh, could yeah. we have avoided all that using this technology I, it was already a done deal by then so why ooh.
1: why would it be such a secret because honestly if if it's if a truck driver if somebody driving down the road has seen it right every other country in the world knows about it <laughs>
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. i mean we're not really that good at keeping secrets
2: <laughs> well no. when, when it comes to the crown jewels and this yeah. is the crown jewels because this is something that's classified higher than the atomic bomb we're, we're talking about the, the heavy hitters here they do not release the crown jewels, so it's but it's they not don't be land
1: on cross. highways either <laughs> <laughs> <You> yeah <know? laughs> yep. i mean that's the other part and then, you know, why Why by now? It's 50 years later.
2: I know, I know. Why are
1: we not using this technology? The, all the, of us.
2: Well, part of it has to do with the utilities, right? Because the propulsion systems associated with these craft could doom the oil industry, could doom no. the nuclear energy plants, all of the windmills. Every coal fire plant could be out of business overnight if this propulsion system could be released into the public domain. We could change the world overnight with this, but it's still profitable and trillions of dollars are being made in profits from all the utilities. And so that's why this thing is so under wraps. But our trade
1: is the earth at this point. Oh,
2: that's right. You know, our trade
1: is the earth. I mean, what good is money if you have no earth?
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Oh, my That's right. God.
2: You got it. You got it. You got it.
1: That is sad. And I do know the oil companies, they have plans 50 years, 100 years. They have no plans right. of stopping.
2: Yeah. I mean, are we just going to keep on smogging up all our cities with these internal combustion engines? Even if we went electric, it right. would still, you know, it would still the infrastructure is just not there just quite yet. And that, oh, now no. you're going to take and close oh, no. all the gas stations around the country, that's going to take years.
1: Well, not only that, from what I understand, it takes a long time to charge up that electric car.
2: Well, And you a, know, and then, none
1: of us are stopping for an hour well, or two.
2: <laughs> that's true, that's true. Yeah. And it, it takes a coal fire plant to run the to, generator do the to, to, to do the electric. So yeah, how much better I off know. are you?
1: <laughs> when are we going to get over this? But That's 50 right. years. I mean, it's all for 50 years. Um, well, and think- why has no other country? Why have we not seen it anywhere else? Because I'm looking at Ukraine and, and, you know, Russia and all this. And they're firing rockets that, you know, they're World War II. That's right. You well, know, I mean, really? And war, just war, how crazy is this?
2: Right. That's Right. That's right. Yeah. Now, one thing, one thing I didn't mention is Eddie And when he was looking at this uh man here, he said that on his shoulder he had these ranking symbols. Kind of mm-hmm. like when you see a naval uh admiral walk into a room, he's got these yeah. ranking symbols on his shoulder. That's what this guy had on his too. So that's an interesting point. I thought that was that important is. to highlight.
1: Yep. Right. That is. And the president doesn't know about these things. My understanding, uh, well, the, it's the, need the, to know. And if they yeah. don't ask, they don't know.
2: That's right. The, the president is nothing more than a temporary employee. That's all he is. In four oh. years, he's gone. So they're yeah. not going to tell him anything.
1: God, this feels terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now you can see how deep this rabbit hole goes, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. But why do they parade it out like Phoenix Lights? I mean, why... Um, let it be seen. That's one thing. And then the other thing is, what about where they were seeing people that didn't look, that were humanoid, but not human?
2: Well, one reason is, number one, is they're brazen. That's reason number mm. one. They do it because they can. Number two is, they they want to play the alien card, okay? So that oh, when something like this is yeah. seen, okay, then the next very day, you'll see man has ufo encounter and has aliens and in the back of the thing there's a there's an alien baby and you know they want to paint this with the ufo brush to hide their own programs and that's what they've done and and it's worked for 50 years why would they stop now as my friends but
1: but, yeah but all of the use you know at this point they could have phased all of this in i mean the oil companies own most of the alternative energy anyway so they could have phased all of this in and we could have been using this technology.
2: Yeah, they, they could have. Essentially what we got here, Barb, is we've got a lost century. We've lost 100 mm-hmm. years at the minimum. We've got a lot. Ohio an entire says, century yeah. has been completely lost. It's really But has. you know what's
1: more amazing? Every country in the world has to be together on this because yeah. the other countries all, I'm sure, have the same technology.
0: Yeah, they,
2: they have their own programs, too. However, I do think the United States is somewhat the ringleader here, because we, we've got cases of dish-shaped craft right across the Texas border into Mexico, where the, the United States military was tracking it. They knew where it was coming down, they knew when it was coming down, and we basically pulled it out of the uh, Mexican government's hands. We just pulled it like like a toy, you know, yeah, like a pacifier. Yeah. We just grabbed it out of this. That's what we did. No, and so well, they, could they we denied. do
1: that from you know with China? Let's say with some It'd other countries. It'd be harder. It'd be harder. Yeah, yeah. You could
2: start a world war three with that kind of mover.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. this is um, really disheartening, you know, to realize that it is. Um, but but at the same time, like you look at abductions and all of this what is that about do you think
2: you know what i don't generally go into abductions i i kind of stick to the nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. is that that's kind of where i i've put my research in here but uh yeah there's if you go back to the Shermer case that's an uh, abduction that's interesting now however the information pulled from the second part of that case was done through hypnosis so whether people
1: you know what you know, run through that case quickly oh uh, we, we can do for that at the my, end if you want to. yeah
2: we can do that at the end if we want to yeah, okay we can, we can because um that.
1: the the travis walton case do you you know that one right oh, and they, yep i
2: know yep. and they
1: say his his health is excellent now maybe he's got great genes but a lot of people think that he was repaired in a spaceship
2: Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I generally I don't, don't know. do the induction yeah. part of it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so let's, let's conclude on this. Okay. Part. Yeah. We'll just conclude this case here. We'll move on. Oh, to we've the next, got, next
1: yeah, one. we've got another almost 10 minutes. So okay. No, no <laughs> yeah. problem. All I'll right, jump so, in when it's time.
2: No problem. Uh, the source for this case, the one we just considered with Eddie Laxon, this is the daily Oklahoma. I, wait a minute.
1: Before you go on, how can rivets hold together anything that moves that fast?
2: Well, let's just say that you were able to crack the gravity barrier and you were able to disconnect inertia from your craft and you could, you know, basically have this gravity bubble that is encased around the craft itself so that the people inside would not be affected from the effects of inertia. And so you could make these 90 degree right angle turns going 5,000 miles an hour and they would feel no G's at all. It, Mm -hmm. It certainly appears, Barb, that someone figured out how to do that. Because yeah, what, could they
1: what, go to the moon? Huh, well,
2: if it's exo atmospheric, there's no reason why it couldn't. There's no yeah. reason why it couldn't. So, what it looks like what they did is originally what they wanted to do, and we're talking about the secret schools here, is they wanted mm-hmm. to master electricity. That was the first thing. Right. Then they wanted to basically master manned flight. That was the second mm-hmm. thing. Then the next thing they wanted to master is rocketry. So they, right. they figured out that one, and then the final thing was, and this is the big one, cracking the gravity barrier. When you crack the gravity barrier, all bets are off. You own the world at that point. Wow! You you you're a master of the universe when you get to that level. So
1: there is right. grief that that they didn't sh- that we're not using this. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Okay, sorry, I'll let you get, get on. No, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay.
2: All right, so. Source again is the Daily Oklahoman, March 1st, 1971. And, and the, the heading here is Objects Citing Now Rude. And they have a picture of Eddie Laxon. And they interview him in this article. And there's a drawing that goes with this. But basically, he said that when he came forward with this encounter, the phone started running off the hook. And he got calls from Japan and all these people. He was ridiculed. And yes. you know what? At the end of the day, he regretted even talking about it. Because yeah. he got ridiculed and belittled, and he which was is how they keep and...
1: people from from saying yeah, anything. That's right. That's yeah. right.
2: Now, it, as sad as it, as sad as it is, it actually adds credibility to the sighting. The uh-huh. fact that he just regretted even talking about it it actually adds credibility to the sighting because now, he here, got
1: nothing out of it. Yeah, he, there was he got no benefit to grief. him. Yeah, nothing but grief yeah. came yeah. out of it. Which you're right gives it more. Yeah, it actually strength. gives him more yeah. credibility. Now, yeah. here's
2: what he said. This is his direct quote. Now, it says, quote, what I saw was definitely not from space. The man was wearing fatigues and had a cap with the bill broken up like Air Force mechanics wear, at Lex, and said it had common English letters on it. Boom, right there. Wow. Even he knows it's one of ours.
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and they landed on a highway
2: <laughs> and they landed on the highway so yeah. what what i always you know pose to to audiences is after reading that newspaper quote i always say we should all consider very carefully the tremendous implications about what that statement really means just what he said right there think about the implications barb of what that means it means if this is true and, and it is it means that we don't need the Saturn V rocket that produces yeah. 7,700,000 pounds of static thrust. Uh, we don't need all these other liquid rockets and solid rockets. And this whole thing is a, is a facade. It's, oh it's window dressing. It's window
1: dressing. I mean, think of the whole airline industry. Of course. You know, I of mean, course. If, if I could be from Denver to New York in minutes, of course, of course. Yeah. And,
2: and see, that's the limiting factor. When the Concorde was coming online, all, you know, they mm-hmm. had these grandiose dreams. You know, we were right. going to fly from New York to Los Angeles. and We're going to get there really quick. And then they started thinking about the sonic boom signatures and they, they yeah. ran tests where they had uh, military jets fly over a city for like an entire month. And there were thousands of complaints and the government had to pay claims and the, mm-hmm. you know there were hundreds of thousand dollars in damages to windows and people right. were upset and cows got all upset and all not only that be,
1: but they didn't yeah. even fill up those planes that's no. the other part because i yeah. know people yeah. who used to go standby. <laughs> yeah, you know go to have a ticket someplace else and then go jump on the concord that's right that's right <laughs> so
2: and and wow. this craft is going supersonic without a sonic boom back in 1966. And without
1: pollution, without any kind light, sound, uh, air pollution, nothing. Yep.
2: So you, you can You're see right how a lost
1: yeah. a lost. It's a lost years. century. Yeah. That's right. It's oh a
2: lost God. century. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And
1: continues to be, and at continues to be at the cost of all of us. Really. Yeah, I could area.
2: not have said it better.
1: And and oh. Anyway. All right. Yeah. So right. has anybody else ever seen humans though, or has it always been um, in, in your, you well, know, in your research?
2: In the FDR case, it, they looked human, but more humanoid, more mm-hmm. humanoid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. And but they in all this wear case, the
1: same outfits, the uh, same body suits. <laughs> in that case, they were. Yes. yes. In that yeah. case,
2: they were. Now, let's go ahead and, and consider the next case here. Now, I want to take this back in time here. So let's let's wind the clock back here. And instead of talking about June fourteenth, nineteen 1947 with Kenneth Arnold, we're going to go and we're going to take it all the way back to the 1897 mystery airship wave. That's where we're going to go right now.
1: Okay. Okay. That can't be ours.
2: Well, so here's a site picture. Uh, we've got Sacramento. Is, is really the origin point of the 1897 mystery airship wave.
0: We've mm-hmm. also
2: got um, San Francisco, and we've got Oakland, California. That's primarily where this thing was seen. So you can imagine hovering over these towns is this large 150-foot-long craft. It has a gondola coming down from the bottom of it. It has like a wing structure on either side. There's this tail rudder and then barb people said that there were these powerful beaming spotlights that were shining down to the ground below. And mm-hmm. so when, when this thing is hovering over town, you've got people screaming, they're running from one Go side ahead. of the street to the next. You've got, uh, you've got covered wagons overturning. We've got horses mm-hmm. bolting from one side to the other, just like a chaotic situation. And here you've got this strange looking, It looks like a steampunk, strange contraption hovering over the city. In many cases, there were anchors that were lowered from these craft and laughter could be heard from these craft and big black dogs were seen on the top deck of these craft. And when these craft landed for quote unquote repairs, Mm
1: -hmm. there
2: were people that ran up and saw these quote-unquote pilots okay yeah. and guess what they were wearing barb guess what they were not wearing? a clue <laughs> smoke colored glasses is what they were wearing mm-hmm.
1: what do you mean smoke colored glasses well
2: like like if you go skiing
1: yeah somewhere yeah
2: in in you know like uh colorado or something and mm-hmm. And these skiers. Very these
1: fashionable, shoes. but really. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. They they wear these glasses with these uh, shades on them to protect their eye from the reflection. From the, yeah. That's yeah. that's what these guys were wearing. They were wearing. Now, you know what it sounded
1: glasses. to me like? The blimp.
2: Kind of like Remember the, blimp? the
1: Goodyear blimp? Yep. It sounded like, like that.
2: Now, and, here's, and
1: that could have easily been alive at that time. I mean, well, we talk about the 1920s, but it doesn't mean. The technology wasn't there before.
2: Now, here's the hypothesis. I I believe that Walter Bosley has cracked this case, so I have to give him credit. But if you think about what the people, the witnesses are talking about here, uh, they also mentioned that in some cases, letters were dropped from these craft. And when the people picked up the letters Mm -hmm. and they read them, the letters stated that Basically, they said that we figured out a propulsion method that will revolutionize locomotion. That's the wording they used. Wow! So these guys were were bold enough to state that, hey, yeah. we figured something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it. Yeah. we figured yeah, something out here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And using so, locomotion, you're right because that was the only other mechanical motion out there.
2: And, at and, 1890 yeah, yeah 1897 so yeah. Let, let's think about what what happened prior to 1897 and this is in california west coast okay mm-hmm. and and this kind of it explains why california is such a a ridiculous state right why, why is everything in california <laughs> overpriced why do they have this you know I don't know. They just, everything here is twice as expensive as it should be. It's I'm thinking you're
1: there, right? Paying those crazy prices. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: uh, they, uh, it's just, okay. So let's say, let's say it's 1849, right? Mm -hmm. And the California gold rush is really kicking in here. And you've got people from the East coast that heard about this strange place called California, that if you can get there, you can be rich overnight. Yeah, and, and it, people got dollars, but signs it's also in
1: paradise in so many well, ways, it, you know, especially before they put in those freeways. <laughs>
2: right, that's right. And, and yeah. so, why why does California feel entitled to charge more for everything else? Like gas is more, rent is more, mm-hmm. hotel is more. More here. Okay, so you've got these East Coast people trying to get over to the West Coast, and it takes six months to get there on on a horse and buggy, right, and covered right. wagon, and right. when they finally get there. They really don't have a game plan. They really didn't plan this stuff out very much. So they they have to be at the will of anyone that's there. So they have to buy their panning devices. They have to buy their blue jeans. They have to Mm -hmm. buy pickaxes. They have to buy shuttle and, and they need to eat, right? So they have to buy food and they have to live somewhere temporarily. So they have to have a hotel room. And that
1: uh, it was Barb, coming is, over those mountains. It yeah, dumped everything coming over those that's mountains. Right. <laughs> that's right.
2: And so that's why California feels entitled to charge more for everything. It goes back to mm-hmm. the California gold rush. That's how all this got started. Okay, so let's go over a couple of bullet items here. So the objects caught, cast down brilliant beams of light on the, on the town below. Uh, witnesses describe about 150 foot long craft in some cases, anchors attached to ropes were dropped from the mysterious craft. And by May of 1897, virtually all the sightings ended. So this is the 1897 mystery airship wave.
1: You know what? We got to wrap up in a minute. Talk okay. fast. Okay. <laughs>
2: no problem. No problem. Uh, so that's a significant case. And uh, there, there's some indication that a interesting group of eclectic financiers, Mm-hmm basically called NIMSA foot the bill for a group called the Sonora Aero Club. That's a different story, but uh, we can go into that at a later That date. makes so, sense to me, yeah. Actually, yeah.
1: that and, 20 and, years before they've got a blimp, somebody else had a blimp.
2: Well, it, it looks like someone was trying to transport gold from the gold fields of Northern oh. California to the East Coast, but do it covertly. And that's what they yeah.
1: did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah especially when they were so easy pickings putting it on a train yeah all right so we've got to close i hate to close but we've got to close and i want to make sure everybody knows where to get hold of you and your book and your uh youtube channel so share with us how to do that
2: okay sure no problem so uh the book is called Dark Files, a pictorial history of lost, forgotten, and obscure UFO encounters. And there's 61 cases. They're all illustrated. They are they are just illustrated to the max. There's drawings, there's sketches, there's illustrations, there's color. It's it's Mm -hmm. all there. And what's great is I provide you with the references and sources of where I got this material. So you can verify it on its own. That's the great thing about you, you can actually go to these places and you can pick it out yourself. And and if you use the scientific principle, then you should be getting the exact same results that I'm getting, and that's the scientific principle. Well, wow. That's what this book. It's it's available on Amazon right now. If you just type in "Dark Files Michael Shret," that book will pop up. My YouTube channel is called Blue Room Media. Every two days, I'm putting up new cases there. It's about a 15-minute episode, and they're all illustrated. I provide you with the references there. And so those are the two things that we've got going right now.
1: God, and MUFON 2022, yeah, July in Denver. That's correct. That's correct. Thank you so much for being here. This has been fascinating. Absolutely fascinating and heartbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Barb.